0: Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. I'm going to start with a test this morning. Get out your pencils. (laughs) This is the final test. Now let me give you a sentence here and fill in the blank. The sting of blank is blank. Is it the sting of death is sin? Or is it the sting of sin is death? Which way is it? Paul sums up the problem in this phrase. And I think it's due to our, I think we tend to misread it. But let me, let me give you the correct answer. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 57. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Doesn't Paul have this exactly backwards? Isn't death the sting of sin? That is, we sin, and then we die, and this is according to the law. I believe in this wrong reading, and I think it's our tendency to read this wrong. Sin gives rise to death, and death is an outworking of the law. But the problem is, in the wrong reading, the problem is that the law then becomes the first principle and death is due to sin. And so one must pay off his guilt for sin according to the law, and then death is avoided. I believe this is religion as we have it. It's much of contractual theology, Christian religion. And it's certainly pagan religion. But what Paul says is a reversal of this. Law... Is the power of sin, not because it is the first principle, because in sin we would make law primary. But this reinstitutes the problem if law is primary and as if it is the solution, too. In other words, in the right reading, death is the problem and sin is our attempted solution. We might call this a kind of moral masochism. It inscribes itself into the law or into an identity provided by the law. That is, we have to keep the law to avoid sin. And the human project is one of gaining life through the law. And this, uh, I believe, this is the premise of a contractual theology which depicts Christ as meeting the requirements of the law by paying off the penalty of sin, which is just a misreading of passages like Romans 8.4. Every pagan sacrifice follows this logic. The god or the gods are angry because the law has been broken and requires death or sacrifice. Death is the means of life through the law. That's the formula for sin. Death is the means to life through the law. This formula, summing up the sin problem, I believe sums up human religion even in its Christian misconstruals. And, of course, the profound tragedy is that this re-institute, it reinstitutes the problem as if it is the solution. Paul says the perishable cannot, through its own means, put on the imperishable. That only happens in resurrection. It's only, you know, this trying to put on the imperishable, it destroys what it is. This is, in Freud's explanation, it's the death drive. One who would save his life does so in such a way that he masochistically destroys it. Jesus says this four times, right, in all four Gospels. He who would save his life, whoever wishes to save his life, shall lose it. And Christ came to save us then from that very salvation system that we would institute. The way we would save our life is bent on our own destruction. I believe Christianity delivers us from religion. It delivers us from human salvation systems. It delivers us from the very basic desire that we have. And so the human project of saving life ensures it's lost, taking the perishable for the imperishable posits life through the means of death. So mortality, per se, is not the human problem, but the positing of an immortal essence as part of mortality. That is sin. In Paul's description, the ego would establish itself, I would establish itself, you know, through the law of the mind. And in this way, death becomes a definitive force. So there's mortality, we die, but there's also taking up death and making death the first principle. And that's what Paul says. The I is involved in a struggle for life, which kills. And this is the human sickness. This is the human disease. The I, maybe more accurately, is a being of and for death. In the, the dynamics which give rise, you know, when Adam says, I ran, I hid, I was afraid, I was naked. First I spoken in Scripture. Paul says, I am of the flesh. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't understand. I, I don't know uh, what I'm practicing. What I would, I'm not practicing what I would like Again and again, just I, over and over. What he's describing, I think, re-inscribing, is a kind of I like that of Adam. It's sort of every, you know, every human has this problem of imagining that through the I, you know, this is Rene Descartes, he said, "I, I think, therefore I am. What he's saying is that my, this is, my being is established through my Thought through thinking the eye. It would attribute being to language, to the symbolic order, to law. And this is the sign of death. So the fall of man is a grab for life. You know, that's the, the story in Genesis, but that's the story, every story. And the history of humankind is one long attempt. To establish an enduring identity. Think of the Tower of Babel, you know, that they would make a name for themselves. Misconstruing eternal life, then, misstating this understanding, I believe is not a minor problem. It is precisely the problem we are saved from in Christ. And the way we're saved from it is resurrection. That's the topic here in chapter 15. Resurrection breaks into human religion. It breaks into human salvation systems, human history, human forms of thought about God and the world. It marks a decisive change in the understanding of God. What resurrection teaches teaches us is that God has nothing to do with death. Death makes no difference to God. It does not constrain Him. And so our representations of God all of which are marked by human religion and culture in which death appears inevitable, as Jesus will say to the Sadducees when they deny the resurrection, you are greatly mistaken. This is in Mark 12, 18 to 27. Is this not the reason you are mistaken, that you do not understand the scriptures or the power of God? Have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the burning bush? How God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly mistaken. According to the thought of the Sadducees, you know, they don't acknowledge the resurrection. God, not see fit to keep his once living creatures alive, well, they would say, yes, he is the God of the dead. They certainly understood, oh, he's not subject to death. That's not the problem. But in their imagination, if God would deal with humans, death must factor into the equation. Even God would have to deal with death. And what's happening in the resurrection is the statement, no, I don't deal in death. Jesus' point is that mistaking death as a kind of absolute for human beings is not simply to misunderstand humanity. Jesus is saying, you don't even know God. You don't even understand who God is. God is the God of the living, not the dead. And so resurrection destroys this dialectic with death, with every dualism, with God death is not. If God is not the God of the dead, death is nothing to him. It is not to be taken into account. And sin then takes death into account as its primary orientation. But death is not the controlling factor for God. And where it is imagined, you know, that he finds death satisfying or that he reigns over a host of creatures consigned to death. This isn't human, this is sort of subhuman. As Jesus puts it, you are greatly mistaken. So every human economy circulates around death as its standard. You know, this is idolatrous religion, human sacrifice. It's also what Karl Marx says about ideology and capitalism, that it's a circulation of Nothingness of death. And the human subject, in the attempt to possess life, to possess the eye, Paul says, through the law is possessed by the law of sin and death. And so he describes this, that through this process of taking death up into the cell, that one is, you know, one's reduced to a cadaver as an alien force, is the language he uses. Sin came upon me. Reduce me to a site of death and desire. The law has colonized my members, he says. And I am at war with myself, and I'm losing, obviously. Sin came alive as an animate force displacing life, and I died. Paul's still living, he's still around. Not that he died physically, but spiritually. And he's describing the human condition in which mortality becomes a bigger problem than it should be. We take mortality and in attempting to resolve it through whatever means, we take that death up into ourselves as a primary part of life. And so in this economy, we need guilt. We need to make ourselves sick. We need to extract the sacrifice so so as to pay off the law because we make law primary. And the law we institute, the law we enact, the law of sin and death, it requires a penalty and it extracts that penalty. So this is people are neurotic because they live in an economy where the pain of neurosis, of a neurotic sin, of a neurotic religion is paying off the dues of a guilt that they imagine is required. Our morality... I believe our religion is our immorality in in this moral factor, this sense of guilt. Satisfaction is found in sickness, in illness, in the need for punishment. And in this, if we don't recognize the problem and the solution, Jesus becomes an extension of the human neurosis. Where it is thought he is paying off the guilt in this sin system. And suffering is for the pleasure of God. Realization of resurrection breaks this open. It breaks open history and human knowing displacing death as the necessity determining reality and perception. And so where sin transforms death into a personal cultural religious reality, resurrection relegates death to what? It's a biological fact about us, but it is not definitive of who we are. It is not definitive of our personhood. It is not definitive of human community. And so in resurrection, and this is what Paul is describing, he says in the first Adam, we all die. But second Adam, humanity has commenced with the resurrection of Christ in which the perishable has put on the imperishable. And so the resurrection inaugurates the conversion, I believe, of our understanding, of our imagination, calling us to expand our categories and to reconceive God, to reconceive humanity, And to understand things according to a new order. One that we could not know, I believe, apart from resurrection. And this salvation stands over and against salvation. Christ's salvation stands over and against every other system of salvation found in the first Adam. This is what it means. He who would save his life by religion, by culture, by the various means created by humankind, he loses his life. He who would sacrifice his life, give up on that project, in fact, has his life. Everybody understood God doesn't die. He doesn't change. He doesn't have an end. But even so, there is always this kind of understanding, a dialectical understanding, that because death is a primary fact about humans, God deals in death. Resurrection says God doesn't deal in death. With the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, there is a possibility beyond this dialectical understanding of God. God has chosen his own terms on which to make himself known. It's completely outside the realm of human knowledge marked by death. And so the resurrection is, it is the turning point, certainly of Christian thought, but it's the turning point of human thought. It's the turning point of, you know, we have all these theories, progressivism, post-millennialism, pre-millennialism, but what they all miss is Jesus' resurrection is a commencement of the last days in Jewish eschatological thought. End time has begun now. Judgment has begun now with the resurrection of Christ. It's a complete discontinuity in history. Nothing led up to it. You know, you don't get there from here. It's an act of God breaking into history. It's a sui generis event on the order Paul describes like creation, from nothing. It's an act of God. The first Adam was created and thus the second. Christ is called the second Adam. It is in the beginning with the Gospel of John. Recreation has commenced. And the resurrection then, as Colossians says, is a new way of construing the world. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. In time has begun in a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 I am the resurrection and the life. 2 Timothy, Christ Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We may have thought we had life. We may have thought we had more immortality. That's the human religion. That's human culture. That's human understanding apart from resurrection. But all of these systems are oriented to death. And so the complete freedom and grace of God is learned only from the resurrection, I believe. Because we could not know about or understand who God is, who we are, I believe, apart from the notion that death is inevitable and resurrection defeats this. So... Sin is the sting of death. It's an interesting phrase. As sin is an orientation toward death, which makes death our life principle. But where sin is taken out of death, death no longer has a sting. What compels, what lures, what would destroy follows the logic of sin which has us in its grip you know that maybe a, a kind of hermeneutic of life in which we read everything through that lens a hermeneutic of resurrection exposes this work of death i think this is why we read the bible that we begin to see things differently we begin to interpret the human situation differently human culture differently you know why, why do you read the bible well we read the bible to meet christ yes to learn about christ but also to put on the mind of Christ and the mode of thought that he thinks in, which must expose in the world and ourselves the matrix of death that would mute love and life. And the way that we do this, Paul says, that I would know the power of the resurrection. And so resurrection annuls the power of sin in death and the law the law of sin and death. That's why it's so important to get the phrase right. Not because God works in the economy of death, but because this human economy is displaced by the divine reality of resurrection life. Through resurrection, we conceive of God. I believe we conceive of reality differently. As it's clear, death does not constrain God but only our conception of God. Death is not a final reality for God, but only our conception of final reality. And this then makes a world of difference. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, Then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. And it's in that hope, in the hope of resurrection, that we can begin to live out life in resurrection in a very different manner. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have been moved by this podcast, please remember to share on social media. If you would like to know more about Forging Plowshares, would like to contact us with questions, want to ask about how you can get involved, or for more information about how you can support this ministry, please go to our website at forgingplowshares.org.